1: And Lingy shows. Brilliant tap work, Gresham curling, curling! Magnificent all round! Oh, this is just a leap by Paddy Ryder. Stokes down low, Corey to Ling, and then Ling goes bang! And the captain, as he did last week, from about there, kicks the goal. And so there were two, Sydney and Geelong, to contest the 2022 AFL Grand Final. A Brownlow medal like the home and away season that literally went down to the very last second. The Herd mentality. Could James Hurd really be making a return to Essendon? And Tasmania's bid for a 19th licence goes before the AFL clubs. There is much to talk about. And there is much to rejoice in. For Cameron Ling, the last premiership captain at the Geelong Football Club, who may only have that title for a few more days. G'day, Lingy.
0: Hello, Al. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I want to get rid of that title. I'm sick of that title, Al. <laughs> I want Joel Selwood to be the last captain of a Cats Premiership. Um, For those of you who are watching and not just listening to this, you'll see the background is a padded room for me. That's not because I'm going completely crazy (laughs) right now and they've had to lock me up. Uh, I have quickly just stepped off air from my um, radio commitments in Geelong with K-Rock and uh, they've stuck me in a quiet little corner because they know that I'll carry on like a pork chop with you, Al, and just talk all things Cats. Uh, But what a what a weekend of footy again. And of course, Collingwood, so superb right to the very, very end, but they don't quite get there. And it feels like the two best teams, certainly form wise, to end the year have ended up in the grand final.
1: Just while we're going, I might just flick Tommy King, one of the great Rock callers, a text message and see if he can come by that studio and just save a few people this week by turning the lock and just keeping you in there for a little bit longer, <laughs> I reckon. Uh, we'll start with Geelong and Brisbane, the Friday night match. Uh, when we spoke last week, I convinced myself that Brisbane was a chance based on the way that they played against Melbourne the week before and that hunger that they brought. I could not believe what I saw, Lingy. That was the most commanding preliminary final performance from Geelong. They carved Brisbane up. Early on, Brisbane was sort of in the game a little bit, but the longer it went, the pressure built, there were bad turnovers from Brisbane, and ultimately a Geelong system that, could withstand whatever Brisbane had to throw at it anyway. And then going back the other way, the way they carved them up was so striking. The pace on the ball, the zip, the way they'd move, everything about DeLong that you had bemoaned in the last few years had been corrected. It was, it must have brought a big smile to your face to see the way they played.
0: It did, Al. It was a really complete performance. Because you're right, the the contest was excellent. Around the footy was excellent. And, and Patty Dangerfield led in that area in a game where working on radio um, with ABC. And it was, uh, the the conversation, it didn't look like Paddy Dangerfield was trying too hard, like he's perhaps tried in the past and ended up rushing things. He just played with a calmness. And so he was outstanding in that area. Then defensively, behind the footy, just superb. Jake College has played his best game that he's ever, ever played for, for the Cats. I think 16 intercept possessions. If it wasn't him, it was Jack Henry. If it wasn't Henry, it was Tom Stewart. Sam DeConing again played a really great game. So defensively sound. And then that all led to exactly what you're talking about. Some of the most scintillating ball movement we've seen all year. Once they got out, uh, the runners of the Cats just looked so sharp and Brad Close played a superb game. Brian Myers played his best game for the club. So those high half forwards had a huge impact. Max Holmes, who I'm sure we'll talk about in a second, his outside run was crucially important. And then it gave that forward line a a great look. And this time it was Tom Hawkins' turn. Despite some shaky moments in front of goal in the second quarter, it, it, it had been Jeremy Cameron in the Collingwood qualifying final, where Hawkins had a quieter one but played a role Um, negating Darcy Moore and and keeping him honest. This time it was Hawkins' chance to hit the scoreboard and have a massive game. And Jeremy Cameron had the quieter game, but they worked selflessly for each other and that forward line clicked. They piled on the goals and and it was a totally complete performance.
1: It really struck me watching the game, Lingy, the planning of Geelong this year and the way that they have managed They're aging star players, and Dangerfield's the classic case. He he was maximum Dangerfield impact. Some of his marking, his run and carry, just his want to move the ball and and exploit the stand on the mark. He'd take ground, he'd kick long. And from the word go, he was the commanding presence on the ground. And and he's been afforded the chance to do that given, and we've spoken about this before, but they, they put him on ice in a period of the year when they could afford to to ensure that he was absolutely perfectly placed to have a commanding finals campaign. And we saw the fruits of that on Friday night.
0: Yeah, and they're the big calls that do come out in in the end and and brave calls. And and it's funny, you you say they could afford to and you think of that because of their win-loss record. I I think at the point of the season where they did push him out for five or six weeks, they they had a positive win-loss record, but they weren't. Melbourne, who were 10 and zero. I, they'd lost a game early on in the year to Sydney. They dropped that Hawthorne Easter Monday game. And then it wasn't long after they got beaten by St Kilda that they made this call. So they dropped mm. a few games there where you were risking dropping one or two more by having Dangerfield out, but perhaps looking further down the track that if they do hit finals, they needed Dangerfield really fresh and, and powerful. So it was still a really brave call. I I remember walking away from that Marvel Stadium game against the Cats versus the Saints, and the Saints had carved Geelong up. And I walked away thinking, oh, hang on a second. Geelong are just battling a bit. They don't have that midfield depth. They don't have that spread. They don't have that something. And St Kilda, on the other hand, I thought, oh, I've I've perhaps misjudged them a little bit. They are good. and, And look out, they could do something. From that moment onwards, it was just two completely different stories for those two teams. And Geelong's really bold calls on the likes of Dangerfield and the Atkins move into the middle and Max Holmes played every game after that. Uh, they had sent them on a trajectory where they only got better and better as the season progressed. And the end result is a, a preliminary final like you see from Patrick Dangerfield and setting up a possible grand final, great performance. That's what those calls were made for. So well done to the coaching staff and the medical staff to make that call.
1: Uh, As we're talking, you're getting ready to go to an open training session at Geelong and on Max Holmes. He's had a fantastic season. He's a brilliant athlete and that obviously runs in the family as the son of of Lee Naylor. But um, his hamstring, I heard Harry Taylor on Sunrise this morning saying that he had been doing some running in recent days. So he's already started to put a bit of work into it, but it, that looks like it's going to be a bit of a, a wait and watch scenario as the week unfolds. There are always one or two of these in grand final weeks, and Sam Red's obviously uh, the converse for for the Sydney Swans. He's got an adductor issue that could well rule him out of the game.
0: Yeah, what what's a grand final week without a few little uh, injury worries and watches? And I remember going back to the. Um, the last one I played in the the helicopter hovering over our closed training session, trying to capture Stevie J going through his paces. It's, it's all the theater grand final week. I, the moment Max Holmes did it and came to the bench and his how distraught he was, Mm. it looked straight away, like bang, clear cut. That's as obvious a hammy as you're ever going to see. He's no chance. And I felt crushed for him. I also felt worried for the cats because he's so crucial to them, you think for such a young guy, but his importance to that team is massive. So it was a big blow. And then to hear Chris Scott talk so positively about it, um, to hear Harry Taylor's words, think, okay, well maybe there's something else to it. Maybe it was a cramp, maybe it was a neuro, um, neurological thing, whatever it might've been. And it's got me hopeful, uh, but I just don't know, Al. Uh, it, it's one, you just know with a soft tissue, you cannot risk because five minutes into the game and he tears his hammy and they're one down and they've got to use their sub straight away. And then there's another injury halfway through the third quarter where they would normally use their sub. And all of a sudden they're, they're, they're behind the eight ball. So it's a monster call. It's got to be as close to hundred percent as you can get. It's not a, it's not a joint injury where you can go, okay, I'll, You know, the the medical staff can put a local anaesthetic in that. They can play. It's only a pain thing that's prohibiting him. So you get remove the pain factor they can play. A soft tissue, it takes away his running ability. It takes away an option through the middle of the ground. It's going to be a big call for the cats. And same for the Swans with Sam Reed's a doctor. He's so crucial to their structure and everything they do. The medical staff are going to earn their paycheck this week. That's for sure at the two clubs.
1: Yeah, they've got to get it right, don't they? Uh, let's just have a quick chat about the Brisbane Lions. Chris Fagan was speaking of optimism, um, or optimistically, in the aftermath of that match. They did win the two finals, ultimately hurt not, not finishing in the top four, and they looked like they'd set themselves up to do that through the early stages of the, or the earlier stages of the home and away season. Two good finals wins, particularly over Melbourne, the win over Richmond in, in controversial circumstances. But it did feel like Brisbane was just that little bit of a rung below the longer the season went. And that's the way it played out in the end.
0: Yeah, they they were. And all the things that we spoke about throughout the entire season, I think Al came back again. I mean, Simon Goodwin said it so well the week before in finals, your vulnerabilities are exposed. And and it was for Brisbane, the reliance on Lockie Neal in the middle of the ground. They hate it when we all say it, but it's a fact. Lockie Neal has a quiet game um, and I reckon half a dozen other players just lose their impact because they're not working off and feeding off Lockie Neal. Geelong played him beautifully. He ended up with 20 touches, but there was a few late in the game. He was he was well beaten. And who else could step up into that area? Um, Cam Rainer was probably the only one who was, had little threatening he, moments. He
1: absolutely was. And, and they were pure impact moments because you look at his numbers and he didn't have a heap of the ball, but when he did, it was his capacity to get into open space or weave his way through the traffic in ways that others couldn't. Um, so that his form this season on return is obviously an encouraging thing.
0: And that's where I find positivity from the Lions. They, they'll be really disappointed in the year that they've had. And you could say the last four years, they haven't quite capitalised on a, a shot at it. Um, in particular, that year where they had home finals right through to the grand final potentially with the COVID 2020 year. But I still see positivity because you look at what they m- might do in the offseason. Now, all reports are, and this is heaping a fair bit of pressure on a, what will be a first-year kid, but Will Ascroft sounds like the equivalent of Sam Walsh. Just yeah. a young kid who could play from day one, head screwed on. Um, you talk to a few of the scouts and a few of the managers who go and watch those guys. They reckon he could have played in that preliminary final game on the weekend this year right now he was best on ground in the nab league grand final in in the premiership that they won so that's another midfielder then you've got cam Rainer more time in the midfield i'd like zach bailey to have more bursts in the midfield and play his forward half striker role really effectively he's a positive Kane coleman is definitely a positive yeah. across half back his ball use everything tough as nails and as skillful as anything so there are positive things there but you're going to need to put it on a few other players that they have to go to a, a new level of football. And one of them is their key forward, Joe here. He's yes. got to find a way to be more consistent across a whole season and stay in games. His work rate's got to be higher. That forward line just doesn't, for all the names it's got there, it, it doesn't function beautifully in big finals. So maybe it's too tall. Maybe Daniel McStay getting poached by Collingwood could be a good thing. And you have a, slightly smaller forward line that can put pressure on and not just let it bounce out so i think the lines can be back thereabouts again can they learn the lessons of a team like Geelong from the last few years where they got close but not close enough to actually embrace new ideas and new personnel through different parts of the ground can they have a slightly different style i don't think attack's their issue i think they need to be able to defend the ground a little yeah. bit better through the middle so they've got to embrace some newness to the way they go about things next year to jump that step or two further.
1: And the other interesting player in, in that for Brisbane, as much as he'll be difficult to get, because they're going to have to give up a bit to get Will Ashcroft, obviously, and uh, Jasper Fletcher, another father's son, Adrian Fletcher's son is a, is a likely Brisbane line as well. Uh, but Josh Dunkley, if he were to go into that midfield, polled the most votes for the Bulldogs at the Brownlow last night, and had a terrific season, put Adelaide in the mix there as well, and the Bulldogs still in the mix to keep him and and would ask a a hefty sum, I would imagine, for a player of his quality. So that could change things a bit. I'm with you on the forward line. If you look at the pure numbers, Brisbane's forward line is is among the best in the competition. They're a high-scoring, freewheeling side when they're going, but up against the best defences in the competition, it's Hipwood and Danaher who don't bring that level of consistency that you'd want. Hipwood's coming back from a knee injury, obviously, but he they're two players who aren't able to take that big pack mark despite their their massive height. We, we saw them go up for marks on numerous occasions on on Friday night and might get their hands to it, but don't, don't bring it in like those key power forwards do time and time again. McStay is kind of the one who can do it, but again, the, the level of inconsistency from him, as much as he threatens to be this fantastic player, I'm not totally sure what he'll bring to Collingwood or whether he, that's probably the wrong way of saying it, whether he will bring what Collingwood thinks he'll bring. I'm not sure he's shown enough consistency over the course no. of his career to to command that the level of pay packet he'll get won, but also the level of hype about him as a big recruit.
0: I agree with that, Al. Yeah, to me, if, if I'm going to be just really cold hearted and just, just purely analytical here, I think they've already got his type of player. His name's Brodie Mejcik. Yeah, Brody he wears Majek 41. Absolutely. That, and Brodie's a better version of Daniel McStay. So I don't think it's adding a different element to that forward line to support Brodie. I think it's it's another Brodie, but Brodie's better. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm with you on that one. The, the other couple of names I didn't mention in the Brisbane positivity is Hugh McCluggage has been a, a good player uh, to a very good player over the last three years. Um, Jared Berry took a step in that, um, that Melbourne final. I think those two guys are entering their prime. Everyone talks about McCluggage like now as one of the, one of the really good players in the competition. I think his best is in front, in front of him. He needs to finish his work. He needs to kick goals. He gets shots at goal. But I think McCluggage and Berry can go to a whole new level. McCluggage in particular, should I say, I think he can, he can elevate himself, and and you do that. Um, he's 24 right now. You're 24 to 29 years old. Are your prime years? Uh, if he can elevate alongside Neil and those others who are saying come in, that's a good enough team to compete again. So yeah. I'm, I'm quite, I'm still quite positive about the Lions, but unfortunately, all those vulnerabilities we spoke about every single week on this show. They got them this year, uh, this in this preliminary final. That they, they
1: came back to haunt them. The word vulnerability is not something you could ascribe to the Sydney Swans and the way they've built their year, Lingy, from a, you know, a slowish base. It was just a gradual climb, almost time their run to perfection, really, to have nine wins in a row at the back end of the year. We've talked about the fact that they seem to have so few chinks and they have multiple threats as well. It's, you look at that Brisbane forward line you mentioned, and Nick Rewalt mentioned on Fox as well. He talked about, are they playing one too many key forwards, too, too many tall key forwards? Well, Sydney doesn't have that. They've got Franklin, they've got Papley, and then they've got Isaac Heaney as well, who all bring different types of threats and different shapes and sizes. And then a midfield group that's capable of going forward and, and kicking goals as well, so so they're dangerous. They've got a great midfield, and they've got a backline that is so rock solid. Um, it really is very hard to find a deficiency in their lineup. And and as much as towards the end of that game, Collingwood was coming hard and looked like they would run over the top. Sydney again hung on for the first time ever. Both these teams going right back to 1897. We're going to see Geelong and yes. the Swans as much as it was initially South Melbourne in a grand final.
0: Yeah, it's terrific. And, and you're right. That's a, It's a perfect description of the Swans. They are just an excellent football team. They're, they're a great club. We know that. They, their culture is really crucial to the success they have on the field because they just bring in these young players, teach them the right way to play, teach them the right way to lead and train and everything about them. Um, and, and again, it's proof of a, a coach in John Longmire, who is a superb coach, having a really clear vision for multiple years, he played these young guys. He got games into them. But then even within the year, where he trusted where this group could go to, and despite, I reckon there was a period, just going back through their results, Port Adelaide got them by 23 points uh, in round 14. And then two weeks later, Essendon got them by nine points in round 16. Yeah, And I reckon at that time, we're all, we all started saying, oh, hang on, maybe the Swans aren't that good. But, John Longmore and his coaching staff, they wouldn't have panicked through there. They would have had to tinker with things. They would have focused back in on things at training and in meetings. But a really clear vision for their best football building throughout the year, as opposed to panicking with a short-term result of, uh, we lost that one, so therefore we got to, oh no, things are bad. We need to change things. Clear vision, a calmness and a strength of the way that he wants the group to play They then build their form bit by bit as the year progresses. And then all of a sudden, two wins turns into three and four and five in a row. And their best football was by far that first qualifying final against Melbourne. That was unbelievable footy they played in that game. And then just outstanding when it really mattered in the moments against Collingwood in the preliminary final. Set the game up early through some great football. And Collingwood came at them like they have done all year and were brilliant to the end, but then some composure in those, those last moments from the swans that I think of a spoil from Callum Mills late in the game, Mm. understanding that you've got a two point lead. So rushing the ball through the points right at the end is not a worry. You don't have a one point lead and it would have turned it into a draw. It was no, we've got that buffer rush it through reset with the kick out. They didn't know there was zero seconds left. They might've thought there was 20 seconds left, but we could, get the ball back under our control knowing we had that one point buffer. That's a team that has just built superbly throughout the year and well done to John Longmire and his team for, for the way they've executed that.
1: Is there anything to worry about from a Sydney perspective in the way that they finished that game when Collingwood were coming at them so hard, there seemed to be a, they almost rolled out the safety blanket, the Swans and tried to protect the game and got within a whisker of losing it. They were, not the least bit daring with their ball movement anymore. They just sort of sat back and tried to, to hang on. Would they look at that and go, maybe we didn't quite get that right?
0: Yes. Yeah, that'll be some, one of the learnings from the game. You're right, Al. And and, and to me, that's a little sign of a, a youngish team. You know, they've still got a big group of guys who are under 22, 23 years of age, the Swans. And, and they haven't been in those moments very often to try and hang on, five six minutes at the end of a preliminary final is an eternity um so i think john longmire will take them back through that and say and here's still situations where we want to go faster with the footy not complete lunatic we're just going to go at all costs but we still need to go quicker with the footy aiming to score and gain ground position by some faster ball movement for longer into the quarter and then the last two, three minutes, maybe that's when you start going into some slower backwards possession. Also, if it presents and there's still six minutes to go and the opposition aren't manning up overly well and you can move the ball down the ground as going forward with it, with kick mark, take that opportunity. So reading the situation of the game better late um, while still attacking and still moving the ball forward will be a lesson from this and a really valuable one. If they're in the exact same situation this week against the Cats, They'll handle it better. It, it, it was, yeah, for moments they were they were just trying to defend for too long. And with the way Collingwood plays, as soon as it hit the ground, it was just being swept back through the corridor really quickly because Swans had gone, let's go to the boundary and go kick Mark. So our nut, their numbers all ended up boundary. Well, where does that leave space? It leaves it through the corridor, which the moment Collingwood could get a turnover, that's where they went. So yeah. that's a learning for the Swans.
1: Yeah, and um, and, and just in terms of Collingwood's season, you could not declare it anything other than a, a raging success, could you? Ultimately, they won a lot of close games, so maybe they can. And this is where McStay, from their perspective, probably comes into the equation. They need to find a way of scoring a little more freely, and and maybe yeah, a little more potency in attack would would benefit them greatly. But you see the pieces, the young players that they have, the Dacos boys. I know Josh is, is a fair bit older or several years older than Nick, but those two are going to play a lot of good football for the Collingwood Football Club for a long, long time to come. And the way they performed this year, the, what, it, what Craig McRae was able to instil in that group, their belief, uh, their love for the way they were playing, the enjoyment factor, because they were employing a game plan that ultimately looked like it was an enormous amount of fun to play Lingy. So to take them from 17th to a preliminary final is naturally, um, Craig McRae found nothing but positives and, and a yes. sense of pride in the aftermath of that. what was ultimately the, the smallest of margins they lost by.
0: It looked like fun to play. It, it was damn fun to watch. I mean, Craig McRae's got a lot to answer for, making us all like Collingwood all of a sudden. <laughs> it, uh, they were just brilliant, brave with everything that they did right to the very end. And now they're going to be crushed by that loss as players. You know, that hurts and in, in that pain of that one... So close, and they'll think of all the moments they could have done better, and all of that. But hopefully, in the cold light of day, as they just start to process it a little bit, they'll realise the huge gains they made as a group and as individuals. I mean, you go through everything in that list. And you think Braden Maynard elevated himself. Uh, it was already a highly rated player. He he went to a whole new level. Jordan De I just hope that he looks at the football that he played this year. And in particular, in most of that final series, it says that's not only the level I can, can sort of try and achieve, that's going to be my base from now on. And I'm going to launch into a huge off-season and preseason and gets his off-field professional lifestyle set up. And, yep, he, he can still have fun within that, but understands what it takes to be one of the very best players in the competition. Josh Dacos, I thought, had a superb year. Um, he, he stepped up. Nick Dacos is a re- revelation, of course. We know that. Jamie Elliott's body is healthy and it's right. And he, he he looked incredible. Jack Ginnivan, for all the controversy and the times where he had his head ripped off um, and should have got free kicks, the amount of times that young man stood up and kicked clutch goals throughout the year, did it again on Friday, on Saturday night, just goes back and nails them. It's like he's 28 and has lived in that moment a hundred times before. I mean, that's a huge... So they have all those wonderful, positive Jack Crisps here. Oh, they get Taylor Adams back. I mean, wouldn't they have loved Taylor Adams in that prelim yeah. final? He would have been up for all that. Scotty Pendlebury can still influence games as, a, as the elder statesman. All of that. But the, tr- the, the challenge, I suppose, from here, Al, is Craig McRae then getting them back as a new group with elevated expectations, both personally and as a team, you you can no longer keep that uh, excitement and energy and and everything that they had bottled at the end of this season, going into next season. It's a whole brand new season. It's a long road again. So his challenge will be other ways to motivate his players, other ways to get them to understand they'll have a bit more of a target on their back. They're not coming from 17. They're coming from a, prelim final. So there'll be new challenges thrown at them, but all of the steps they took, I think just sets the Collingwood footy club up for a really exciting next era.
1: And you look at a player like Ash Johnson. I think we saw enough glimpses of him this season to show what he's capable of as much as his preliminary performance was by far his best of the year. He really struggled to impact the game, but he is that kind of slightly taller key position forward that threatens to do something pretty special and his career is only very much in its infancy so yeah collingwood terrific this year can't wait to see what they can achieve going forward but um collingwood fans as much as they were proud they were also venting they were they were angry um were they rob lingy in your view that the papley decision sydney hadn't kicked a goal for 35 minutes when papley was awarded i think it was a free kick not a mark so yeah. it clearly hit the ground but should it have been a push in the back to Darcy Moore? I think we would all agree that it should have been, but yes, it would it have changed the outcome? And that's the unknown, I suppose.
0: That, that's the unknown. It's a completely different game from there. Um, you can, you know, the, the, the butterfly effect. You change one little moment, it change, the rest of the game doesn't pan out anything like it. It's, it's a completely different game. That ball never goes through the big sticks. It never goes back to the centre bounce. It starts from a Darcy Moore kick. Now Collingwood fans could say, "Yeah, Darcy Moore would have kicked it. Would have gone down, down, down the ground. Goal, Collingwood. They kick the next few, and and Collingwood win." Yep, that's one scenario. The simple fact is, it should have been a free kick. Yeah, it was a it was a bad miss by the umpire. And um, we've got our very best umpires umpiring right now. Huge moments, crucial moments. Yeah, I get mistakes. That's one that just had to be paid. I think um, the. The leniency shown at times to the forward just clearly pushing the defender in the back has gone too far the other way. Go back right to the start of the year. It was Tom Hawkins on Harris Andrews um, where just big shoves in the back and Tom Hawkins gets the mark. The the rule changed, I think, for the better to allow forwards or backs or the marking player to be able to hold the player under, under the ball using his open hands and it wasn't just a... Trigger, okay, that's a a push in the back. I like the change, except when it goes too far and that person in in the behind position can just give a shove. It should have been a free kick. A lot of words there for simply it was a free kick to Darcy Moore. All
1: right, I'll get you to run your eye over the grand final, Lingy, and where it might be won and and lost perhaps, um, where you think Sydney might be the most dangerous uh, threat to Geelong. Uh, before we get to that, I wanted to touch on James Hurd. So it's been reported that James Hurd has been interviewed for the Essendon coaching job um, last week, along with a few others, Brendan Laid, former Bomber Premiership player, Dean Solomon, as well, and Adam Uzay, who's been you know, a front runner for coaching positions for a while now and, and was strongly linked as well to the, the GWS position. Ultimately, Adam Kingsley got that. Where do you stand on the idea that James Hurd would be considered as a a coaching candidate for Essendon?
0: I don't think he should be appointed as the senior coach of a club right now. Now, that's the club's decision, not mine. They they can say, butt out. It's got nothing to do with you, Lee. I'm sure. But my opinion is that he, whatever happened at Essendon, and I don't think we'll ever fully know exactly what went on. And that's my issue with it because something went on and he was the senior coach and he needed to be in control of what was happening at that club within the football department. So he, he failed in, in that respect. Uh, you can't definitively say what the players were or weren't given. Well, that's an issue. You're the senior coach, the buck stops with you. So he didn't perform well in his role as senior coach during that time. And it very nearly brought the club to its knees and it really had a horrible dark shadow over the entire competition for those years. I mean, he, it, was, it was awful what him and those people involved did to our game, the game that we all love so dearly. So there's that. But if we can park that and say, okay, but he should be able to have a second chance when you know, time moves on, other people get second chances, he, sh- he deserves that shot. Okay, that's fine. That argument stands up. If James Heard did what, let's say, Michael Voss did. Michael Voss failed as his first time with the Brisbane Lions uh, as coach, as senior coach, um, for completely different reasons, made some poor uh, list management decisions with trading older players in, didn't go well, failed, gets the sack. Vossey decided to eat a bit of humble pie. He's one of the greatest leaders in the history of the game, Michael Voss, and say... I'm going to go away for a long period of time and learn my coaching craft and be an assistant coach. Went to Port Adelaide under Ken Hinckley spent seven or eight years there, different roles, learning what his communication, his leadership, some strategy stuff, learning from Ken Hinckley, improving himself through different courses over the, over the years to give himself another shot, gets appointed at Carlton and is doing to this point a good job. um, A big step forward for the blues. Time will tell how he goes. I'm looking for that from James Hurd, Al. I think if, if Hurdy deserves a second chance, he also needs to show that he's gone and worked on his coaching craft. Now, a part-time gig at the GWS Giants and then sitting in the coach's box for the last five or six years does not count in my eyes as genuinely going away and working on his craft. He needs to be an assistant coach for five, six, seven, eight years. Learn a development coaching role. A line coaching role. Maybe coach a VFL team for a year or two with that. Have your own, so that you come back as senior coach having learnt from all of those horrible, horrendous mistakes that you made the first time around. And then when you demonstrate that, sure, have your second chance. That's fantastic. That's not now though, Al, for me. I, I don't think he has shown that willingness to dedicate himself to the coaching craft that he gets a senior coaching job now.
1: That's a good point. And I think regardless of where you apportion blame for that horrendous scandal that occurred and and affected those players so greatly, and and James Hurd himself has has struggled to recover from it, the club has struggled to recover from it. So I think if you appoint James Hurd as the senior coach, you take Essendon back to a place that it's still trying to slowly navigate its way out of. I mean, the The shadow of of that scandal has sat over this club for a long time and I I think it'd be foolish to try and suggest that it hasn't affected Essendon's performance on the field in the seasons that followed. Um, Essendon fans, some of them I think and and perhaps in this case some of the key decision makers looking a little misty-eyed at the past. Absolutely you have to acknowledge the past and respect the past and the great history of the Essendon Football Club but this club's got to go forward, Lingie, and and I think they need to stop looking in the rearview mirror. And Kevin Sheedy has has been a part of this as well. It seems like Kevin Sheedy is having an extraordinary influence over the Essendon Football Club at the moment, but he's part of a different era. I think the presence of Sheedy is fantastic to you know mingle with supporters and and you know benefactors and all of those people that are part of your football club. But when it comes to the key decision-making process at the Essendon Football Club now that to me, that's not a role for, for people like Kevin Sheedy anymore. This is about looking forward and taking Essendon back to a great powerhouse club like it was in the future. Of course, you understand where you came from and, and that's a context to, to where you are now. But in my view, yeah, they at times look a bit backward and when they need to be looking forward. Uh, Brownlow medal night, no surprises, Lingy, because in keeping with the season, most of us it's, would agree it's the, the best season we've seen in, in recent memory. I can't think of a, a better one off the top of my head, to be honest, just in terms of the drama and the style of football played and the excitement factor and the, the crowds coming back as the season rolled on late in the year. We had some massive crowds at the MCG and other venues as well. So of course the Brownlow medal was going to end in an absolute thriller, wasn't it? Literally down to the last game of the season, like we had with Carlton and, and Collingwood in the match itself to determine Carlton's finals fate and Collingwood's top four chances. And Lockie Neal, I wasn't sure whether he was going to get a vote in the final round. Lingy he, he managed to get to 28, Crips is on 26, and then three to jump over the top of him. I, I don't think as much as there's a little conjecture around the overturning of his suspension during the season in terms of Patrick Cripps being a Brownlow Medal winner, I think that sits pretty comfortably with everyone, doesn't it? It
0: does. It sits very comfortable with me. Uh, I'm not going to relitigate the the tribunal process. I'm going to celebrate Paddy Cripps and what a player he is. And to think he was the just doing it solo for so many years at Carlton. And we all had genuine concerns that his body was going to be so destroyed because of having having to carry the entire load going back a few years when Carlton weren't much chop to now see him healthy and just that beast that he is and the dynamic footy that he can play and the goals that he kicked and to see him having a Brownlow medal hanging around his neck fits beautifully with the picture. Uh, there, You've got to be, you've got to be very, very good to win a Brownlow medal and Paddy Cripps is very, very good. Um, I, I I knew he was getting, oh, I'm sorry. I thought that he had to get three votes in that last game against Collingwood where he tried everything to drag his team over the line. I had that moment of Collingwood have won the game. And when they went two votes, Carlton.
1: I thought I was, it was him too. I
0: thought, hang on a second. They're going to give him two and then they're going to give a <laughs> Collingwood player three votes. And turns out it was Adam Chera. And I quickly had to Google, how did Cherry go in that game? and. He played very, very well. Um, and then three votes, Paddy Cripps, to, to get the win. A little a tiny part of me was barracking for Tuke Miller to, uh, to jump up there with him as well. He just had a brilliant season and what a person he is. We've had him on our show here, Al, and just a great quality person, a great leader and a, and a wonderful footballer. Something tells me he'll be right up there for the next few years vying for that award. Um, but Patty Cripps congratulations uh, a stunning year and I think for Carlton fans a little bit of joy out of what turned out to be a heartbreaking season and maybe got the Carlton fans excited for what 2023 can bring
1: yeah absolutely and, and a fully fit Patrick Cripps supported by other midfielders a great adept in that Carlton midfield Walsh has obviously helped in the last couple of years but Kennedy when he was playing terra has been a good inclusion Hewitt when he was playing as well It just allowed Patrick Cripps to not bear the burden of absolutely everything in the middle of the ground. And and it's no wonder he's been so beaten up and bashed by the end of the year that he can barely run or or walk and played with a broken back, Lingy, because he has had a a lot to to shoulder, a lot of the burden over the years and spoke about the difficulties of being at a club that hadn't had any success and and how close they got again. So he's got that individual honour, and now I'm sure he's, he's very much motivated by getting Carlton back into the finals and, and beyond. We'll wait and see what happens in the next couple of years for the Blues. Uh, speaking of, we'll wait and see what happens in the next couple of weeks, but there's a big meeting with all the club power brokers and the AFL presenting Tasmania's licence bid today. Um, my understanding is that the Tassie government's initial offer of $10 million a season is going to be up slightly as part of that. The government hasn't confirmed that, but I think that is going to be the case. And then we saw the confirmation yesterday that Macquarie Point in Hobart on the waterfront, very, very close uh, to the city and and very close to Salamanca is the preferred venue for a new stadium to be built. Tassie government's committed to paying half of that, up to $375 million, waiting on federal government support and, and private support as well. But this will be part of a cultural precinct. There'll be a reconciliation park. There'll be all sorts of other things attached to this ground which I think will be transformative for Hobart-Lingy. It'll be a fantastic venue that people will debase the merits of pouring that amount of money, a government pouring that amount of money into a, a stadium. But I don't think they have a great grasp of economics. How do you grow an economy? You invest. This will bring jobs. It'll bring investment. It'll bring tourism. It'll bring hospitality. It'll bring a need for more hotels. People float the idea that people can't put a roof over their heads or there are a long waiting list at hospitals. Well, This doesn't preclude investment in those areas as well, but there are so many benefits from Tasmania having a team in the AFL and and health benefits from that. If you can see it, you want to be it, Uh, it promotes positivity and a general sense of self-esteem in the state. So there's a bit playing uh, around in the background in terms of the financing of this stadium, but I think it'll happen. And now it's over to the presidents.
0: Can I ask you that, Al, just to help me understand the process from here? Is it a vote from the presidents of each of the clubs? And does it have to be unanimous? Does it have to be a majority, a simple majority, a super majority, uh, And then is that the final step? Or is it simply if that vote passes, then it's still the AFL commission? What's the process?
1: Well, I think the AFL commission would reach a, a position on, on the back of what Gillan McLaughlin and his team at an executive level have, have come up with, and then it would be put to the presidents to vote. Now, in ordinary circumstances, you would need a two thirds majority to overturn, not to vote for, to overturn a recommendation from the AFL Commission for the entry of a new team. Gillan McLaughlin said that they want a, a stronger majority than that, whatever that is. Um, We know that Andrew Pridham has spoken negatively, doesn't appear to be in favour as much as he's saying he's keeping an open mind. Jeff Brown has also been someone who has spoken openly about a reluctance to allow a 19th team into the competition. Jeff Kennett, not not sure realistically where he's going to stand on it all. And Tony Cochran's been the the loudest of all, although he has gone quiet in recent times. So I still think if the AFL wants it to happen, it will happen. And it does have widespread support within the AFL clubs. There might be a a few who are opposed to it, but this game's just signed away a $4.5 billion rights agreement for the next six years. So anyone who would try and still prosecute the case that you couldn't afford a team from Tasmania, I think is clutching at straws. And then Tasmania will fund itself anyway, Lingy. There's no doubt about that. So I'm really, really optimistic. And I think the announcement of the venue for the stadium yesterday, the timing of it, perfect, seems to be falling into place. And finally, in the next couple of weeks, we should get an answer.
0: Does it have to, does any of this decision making have to include a 19th team equals a 20th team? Or is it simply you think a standalone 19th team and it could stay 19 for a long period of time is
1: fine? I think that that is this is in isolation at the moment and what that leads to who knows um there would need to be a period of the game settling down again after the entry of a 19th license but I think if you if you look at it broadly into the future there there would be a hope that you could have a team from the Northern Territory given the contribution to the game it's a completely different model Tasmania's presented an excellent business case to complement a rich history in the game and the Northern Territory would perhaps be more a bid based around the great social impacts that a team in that region could have and and also contribution to the game is high but i think the the financial case for tasmania is stronger let's see what happens in the future but i think in terms of this it is very much a tasmanian only focus leading to 19 teams and a need to be um, creative with the fixture but then we already have a scenario where teams have buys there's a buy before the grand final and with Thursday night football coming in that that buy um, scheduled into the fixture is going to make it easier to fixture Thursday night football into the future so I am very very optimistic now Lingian I've ridden the the highs and the lows of, of all of this but I just think you, you could not possibly say no to this if there's a stadium that looks certain to be built as much as there's funding still to be acquired I think they're they're down the path in terms of securing some of that and then this TV rights bonanza, absolutely extraordinary. And what it can do for Tasmania, I think they estimate $120 million a year in economic growth. The building of the stadium itself will generate a larger amount of economic development. So it's not a choice between having a stadium and having a new hospital. Of course you can do both things, but you have to invest in your economy and you have to invest in your state and its sense of pride and Yeah, I think this Tasmanian bid ticks all of those boxes. So I've been on board from the outset. I'm just looking forward to some positivity. Um, Let's chat the grand final quickly before we depart, mate. I know it's going to be a nervous week for you. The mayor of Geelong will have the robes out and he'll be making plenty of appearances around the place. But I teased it out earlier. What, What worries you most about the Sydney Swans as a Geelong man?
0: Yeah, it will be an amazing week, Al. And going into the game as I get closer, that's when I sort of start really narrowing down on the analysis of, oh, maybe there's this little thing and, and, and maybe this could be exploited. From a broad sense, I think it's Sydney's ability to be brewing in the contest, in the middle of the ground. Um, they are just excellent in, in that contested area. But so is Geelong. So I think that's probably a break-even. Um, with those two areas of the game, it's then the speed on the outside um, from the Swans, which Geelong—I I get when when you watch Geelong on Friday night, you have you see that that run and what they're able to do, and Myers and closes the high half forwards, and, and some of this outside run was there, but the Swans have got it everywhere. They they really do have guys who can cover the ground, and I go back to the point that don't just think of Max Holmes as a young player who was going to play a bit part in the grand final. If he was able to be there, Max Holmes was crucial to Geelong. His ability to get up and down the ground at genuine speed has changed the dynamic of this whole Geelong team throughout the season. If he's missing, and then you think of uh, Ollie Florent and um, Goulden and these types of players getting up and down the ground for the Swans. And when they get it to the outside and Warner and, uh, Robottom and and their mids can really surge onto it. You get Blakey using the ball quickly off halfback. Jake Lloyd still uses the ball really well off halfback. Then it's that outside speed and that outside run from a base of contest because grand finals are won in the contest. So don't 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 think for a second I'm putting that aside. But that's got to be there from both teams. But then it's that outside ability from the Swans, which would just be creating a few headaches for the Cats. I, I think if Geelong can get control of that area and get enough entries into their forward line, good entries, not bombed on the head entries, the Hawkins-Cameron-Stengel close combination kicks enough goals for the Cats to win. But if if that Swans run and the way they're able to generate their inside 50s um, is on top, then all of a sudden you've got some players on their back foot in that cat's defense and Sam DeConey, is brilliant as what he's been. He's a young man. So the best way to put pressure on young players is to have the ball coming in quick and lots because you can't help, but feel it. Buddy Franklin still has this presence. of Mm. It's it's Lance Franklin, you know, last time they played each other, Buddy Franklin kicked his 1000th goal and 30,000 fans ran out in the ground. That's still there. So the best way, again, to get inside those Geelong defenders' heads is get it in quick and get it in often. Um, So that middle part of the ground is crucial. It always is. That feels like I'm stating the obvious. But the outside run and speed of the Swans is just one area where I reckon they can perhaps gain an advantage. It's going to be brilliant. It is the two best teams, Al. Yeah. Um, I know. I know. I kept believing that Melbourne had another gear at times, and that's why... We, we were getting on board with the Swans and we were pumping them up on this show. Every single week, we were getting more and more positive about the Swans. But I still I had this stumbling block of, oh, yeah, but Melbourne. I, I perhaps shouldn't have done that because when you look at pure form, Sydney were better in the late part of the year. And then that qualifying final, which has proved it. Um, they're, they're a terrific team of combination of youth and experience, hardness and outside run, defence and attack. Um, But so is Geelong. So it's going to be a great matchup.
1: Yeah, and I think you could validly make the case that there is no home ground advantage playing this game at the MCG for Geelong as much as they play some games there during the year. Sydney plays the ground so well. They've won seven of their last 10 games at the MCG, the Sydney Swanside, holds no fears for them whatsoever. Uh, Jed Buse to Tom Papley, is that the matchup you'd expect? He's done some awesome jobs all season. Jed Buse nullifying the small forwards and and again with Charlie Cameron on the weekend I would say so yeah
0: after the job he did on Cameron he's done it all year it's the reason why Geelong are so much better this year than what they've been the reliance on one or two players is gone it it is an even contribution Jed Buse's performance just quietly goes under the radar has been brilliant he'll he'll get Papley Um, you look at that forward line it might depend a little bit on on Sam Reed and what happens with him but you know does Sam DeConan go to Buddy Franklin? So Here you I go. Think he you've, will. Had, you've had the best and biggest player for the opposition every single week. Have the best of all time as a forward in, in, in Buddy Franklin and, and you know, go for it and back yourself. So that'll be a brilliant matchup. Um, like Cam Guthrie through the middle of the ground. who has gone under the radar again. So does he... Does, I, I, he won't play a tag role, but you know, does he play with that really good balance in his game where he defends a bit but also then attacks really well? Do they do the Swans send someone to Dangerfield to just make sure that he doesn't have the game like he had on Friday night? It's probably Callum Mills because Mills has done it so well in the park, did it earlier on in the year. That was a sore Dangerfield, so he'll be better placed, but Mills has been the best two-way mid in the competition for the entire season. So that's a brilliant matchup down the other end of the ground, over to you, McCartan boys, Tom and Patty, probably Hawkins and Cameron, Though maybe Rampy goes to Cameron. If I, uh, if I'm thinking now, and maybe Patty McCartan tries to come as that third man up. Um, what a story Patty McCartan is. And
1: the, the, joy,
0: the joy that he's playing with, playing with his brother after thinking he's never playing AFL again, he's done. And he's playing, had a brilliant season. So, there are just matchups and stories everywhere, right across the ground. And I haven't even mentioned my favorite non non-Geelong player in the entire world in Isaac Heaney Al. He's what's he gonna step up and do? He's just built for grand finals and prelim finals. So who gets that matchup? It'll be it'll need to be someone who's right on on their game because Heaney can do anything.
1: Is that the College match matchup, do you reckon? Well, it probably
0: is, yeah. Um, but I reckon Heaney's probably a little bit, a little bit quick, a little bit sort of it can dart around. At, Ollie you know, Henry, Jack Ooh, Henry. Yeah. Oh, sorry, uh, Jack Henry. Jack, Jack Henry. Henry. Yeah, but Jack Henry for me is maybe um, Sam Reid if he plays. I think Jack Henry plays that that taller one. Um, you know, Isaac Heaney. You need someone who's really good in the air and overhead, like a Collar Jazny. But you also need somebody who's super quick and agile at ground level because Peeny can play like Tom Papley plays at ground level. Um, so that's a it, that's a tough matchup. That one is it? I mean, Tom Stewart's probably mm. the best matchup. But then you want Stewart doing his thing. You want him to be an offensive yeah, weapon. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not 100 percent sure. I, as the week progresses, I'll probably narrow down more on. Yep, yeah, I think definitely this, but. There's a few of those matchups that create a headache for the cats, but I think down the other end of the ground, there's a few matchups that create some good headaches for John Longmore. My
1: word. And we haven't even mentioned Tyson Stengel and the year he's had, and he could win a Norm Smith medal, Tyson Stengel. I reckon he's that kind of player. He won't need too many touches to kick three or four goals and he'll do it in dynamic ways and he'll, He'll just finish his work. He, if he gets a sniff around goal, look out. I mean, it's it's in the book basically. What a what an awesome story. And obviously, Eddie Betts has played a huge role in helping him settle into Geelong, and Geelong's given him a second chance. But you also have to take that chance, and he has completely taken that chance, and has been a key part of what Geelong's been able to achieve this year uh, Hickey and the Ruck, I think is going to be very key for Sydney as well. And he's, he's been in superb form. So that duel between Hickey and Stanley would be really interesting. Hard to split them. I reckon Lingy, it really is. I, I'm not even going to, you don't need to ask, but I am going to go Geelong. I'm going to, I'm not sitting on the fence this week. I think Geelong's football has, has just been so strong across the course of the season. They've reinvented the way they play. They're exciting to watch their spread, their run, their capacity to slice up the opposition. They're not, It's not going to be easy to do against the Sydney Swans, but across every line, defence, midfield, danger field, being in peak form at the right time of the year, Selwood playing his 40th final, a record 40 finals, extraordinary, but has been so well managed. And then you have Cameron and Hawkins. Who Cameron can have a quiet night and Geelong still wins by 71 points against Brisbane. Stengel will kick your goals, Myers and, and the famous 45 at Geelong doing you proud as well with Brad closely So I think if I had to tip, I would tip Geelong. But I think we're in, like the entire season, we're in for another cracker.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Of course, I'm tipping Geelong. That's head and heart. I honestly think they have been the best team all year. Um, but you're right. I, I don't think this isn't one. You so often see grand finals that once a team breaks the other team, it blows out the margin. I just don't feel like, that can happen this week because of the makeup of these two teams, the character of these two teams. I think this is going to be one of the <laughs> for, for us Geelong fans and for the Swans fans, just one of those magnificent yet yuck days where you're just never going to feel good and you're gonna you're gonna have a 14 point lead at one stage and just think, oh, that could be gone in three minutes' time. Um, it's going to go down to the end. I I think the Cats win it by under 15 points I think it's that sort of game where we've got a right down it might be just a late moment or two where uh, you you get an extra goal and it turns from three points into into nine or from five into eleven or something like that it, it's going to be a beauty it is the two best teams of the season and two amazing clubs with the su- sustained success and the way they've remained competitive for such a long period of time bring it on out I love this week it's going to be great
1: Good luck, mates. All the very best. Awesome chatting to you. And uh, let's see what happens on on the weekend. It's going to be a ripper. It's been an awesome season. Grand final, of course, live and free on Channel 7. the only place to see the coverage starting really early in the day. The build-up. A lot of fun along the way to be had. I'm sure you'll be a key part of it all, Lingy, before you try and settle your nerves and head into the stands with your youngsters to share a special father.